and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Johns. I apologize for the fact that we have been gone for a while. Um, I'm honestly not even sure, <clears throat> excuse me, how long it is that we've been gone. I feel like it's been about three months, give or take. Uh, what happened was we were rebuilding uh, the websites. Like it really wasn't anything more complex than that. That is probably something that I could have explained to people. However, like one of the things about Twitter, and you can't blame nobody for this, like it's nobody's fault. You have a question, you have the ability to then ask that question. But like if you had at McDonald's and you got a question, you don't just go ask Ronald. You know? Like you know, so anyway, you just have a bunch of people ask you the question. And if you answer the question, whoever sees it at that time will they'll have the answer. Then somebody's going to come at some other time because they weren't there for it or whatever it is. And then, fair or not, I then wind up getting annoyed because I'm like, damn, I just answered this the other day. And I fully understand and I'm aware that the next set of people don't understand. They didn't see it the other time. Like they are coming from a totally honest place. But to maintain my sanity, I just ain't say nothing. But anyway, uh, we got the websites. You know, we're working on all that stuff. But we're here. We're set. We evening Jones and all that stuff. I will take your questions. And you know, before we get to the questions, I'm gonna just uh, give you a little interesting story of a New York situation that happened the other day. Let me tell you something very interesting about New York City. And I guess I've only lived in but so many places. So maybe I'm giving New York too much credit on this. But I would argue that the New York City Police Department does a really, really, really good job at concealing the identity of unmarked cops. It is very, very rare that I come across a car in New York and look at it and be like, oh, that's an unmarked, you know, and in other states, I, I find it to be very easy in large part because of the government plates that they have to put on the car. But, you know, you see that black crown, that black, all black crown big with no marking on it in the government plate, you know, man, that's unmarked. Um, so I was on the way to work one day and I get to this light and I got stopped because I got the hand, you know what I'm saying? And, I look to my right and I see this black Ford. I can't remember uh, the make and model, but I see the black Ford. Well, I mean, I don't know the make, the model. I see the black Ford and it gave me real unmarked vibes, right? I gave it a little look. I couldn't quite tell, but it, it, it gave me strong unmarked vibes. So I looked down and I checked the license plate and the license plate did not appear to be one of uh, an unmarked vehicle. At least I couldn't tell, but I wasn't sure. It could be, maybe it wasn't. Again, New York City does a fantastic job at concealing the identity of unmarked cars. So I'm there at the corner. Um, I got my headphones in. I'm just kind of looking across the street. Like, I'm not really paying no attention. But I felt somebody walk up on me um, on the other side of me, like the car, the cop car, or the car I thought might have been a cop car, because I don't know if it's a cop car. That was to my right. And so this dude came up over my left and I ain't look at him. I could just tell somebody was, you know, they're kind of like near my shoulder over. And then next thing I knew, 
I noticed that the dude next to me had kind of like put his head down and then looked over. And I was like, huh. I wonder if he was trying to figure out whether or not that was an unmarked car. And that led me to the next step in the thought process, which was, I am pretty sure that gentleman was African-American. And I looked to my left and guess what? He was in fact African-American. And I take that to mean that he was in fact trying to identify whether or not that was an unmarked car. And that led me to just have some thoughts in my mind about, um, you know, things black people do. And one of them is keep an eye out for the cops. That is something black people do. We keep an eye out for the cops. But there's levels to keeping an eye out for the cops. We're not just keeping an eye out for the cops that are saying they cops. We keeping an eye out for the possibility that any y'all the police, any y'all might be the feds, any y'all might be informants, any y'all, we watching. That's right. We real careful about the stuff we say on the phone. That's right. You know why? Any of y'all might be the feds. Hadn't thought about it like that, had you? Yeah, that's what I thought. Let's see here, checking out what y'all got on the questions. It has been a while. I know not that many of y'all in the room, but figured, to be honest, some of y'all will have more stuff to ask. I feel like you guys need to understand that. And again, no disrespect, I've been gone for a while. I understand. However, if y'all ain't got no questions, I ain't really got no purpose here. I got, I, I kind of got to go. Anyway, let me see here. Hey, Lance, keep an eye out on this young stooge in here. Got a feeling that's somebody who ain't to be trusted. I don't know if y'all heard. Well, some of y'all know why. Oh, wow. That's what Dante um means whoo yeah i'll go ahead and uh put it yeah i'll do this question gentlemen asks what are your feelings on this jill scott video and i gotta say this is a sign to me uh part of what's wrong with the hot take economy my man says, what is my take? Like, what are my feelings about the Jill Scott video? I ain't got no fucking feelings about that. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, I don't like, what are my feelings about it? Jill Scott did something nasty at her concert. And I don't mean nasty as a pejorative term. I mean, nasty is just kind of like, how else am I supposed to describe that? Like, that was the goal. That was the point. Right? Jill Scott was attempting to convey nasty. I would argue that she succeeded. Think it's kind of hard to argue otherwise. 
I feel like I shouldn't have used the word argue right there because I feel like my ultimate point that I have about that video is why y'all out here arguing? What was there to argue about? You ain't never seen nobody do no nasty stuff at a concert. Hey, come on, man. I've seen the think piece economy get rolling on this. I don't know how many people have actually written the think pieces. Same people make the argument that their difficulty with this is they cannot at all find it possible that a full-figured woman um, could be overtly sexual in the way that Jill Scott was in that clip, to which I respond with the question, how many people do you follow on Twitter? Like, I feel like all you got to do is have a Twitter account and follow women of any and all stripes. And you will find that the propensity for nasty is probably randomly distributed across weight classes. Now, maybe it's one of those situations where you just kind of ignore all the big women when they are saying overtly sexual things or the idea of them being overtly sexual like maybe you just have that incredible level of mind power that you can just act like the world isn't happening. I have no idea. Right. But there is nothing. And I repeat nothing that is surprising to me about seeing a woman such as Jill Scott simulating such things and maybe just maybe haven't lived that life. Yeah. I feel like this is almost to a degree an example of a situation where there are all kinds of stereotypes of all kinds of people, but maybe not everybody's heard the same stereotype that you have. You know what I mean? For me, perhaps that added to the confusion that I had about the confusion that that video managed to um, generate. I also think something very interesting that happened with that Jill Scott video is timing. Because from what I could tell, that video dropped at like one o'clock in the morning. And so the first people to see it is people that's up at one o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. Maybe some of y'all was on the West, so it wasn't really that late. But um, it came out at one o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. And in the words of the great philosopher named Stan, the freaks come out at night, Martin. The freaks come out at night. Right. So you start with that, and then you're going to get all the chitter-chatter that those people had at the time when the video first hit them streets. Then people saw it at like seven o'clock in the morning. Like I saw it somewhere, I think in like the eight o'clock hour or somewhere in there. Anyway, then you see it at seven o'clock in the morning. And I think we would all admit that if you just woke up, that's a lot. That is a lot. 
But the one thing I know myself I wasn't about to be doing before no nine o'clock in the morning is getting into an argument about it. That's just ridiculous. Like, like that is just full on preposterous to me that people would approach that as such. But uh, somebody in here raised a question. He phrased it a little bit differently. But basically he's saying, imagine what it's like going to school the next day if you were Jill Scott's son and this video has just now circulated. Now, I would like to note that rarely, if ever, um, does anyone ask this sort of question about a man who might perform or behave in an overtly sexual manner as such, right? There is definitely an element of double standard that exists. That being said, there is a, another element of this, which is I don't really hear that many stories about women having to get into fights because of stuff that people out here saying about their daddies. Now, again, maybe part of that is because of the judgment that women receive generally, right? Therefore, people are more likely to say something about your moms, and then you're more likely to then have to get into a fight about it and all of that stuff. I totally get it. And Jill Scott is a grown-up, and Jill Scott is allowed to do her grown-up things as she wants to do as she entertains for grown-ups. That being said, if Jill Scott got a son that's like in seventh grade or higher, I hope that young man is nice with his hands. Because you probably going to have to put pause to somebody. Like, this is just what it is. Somebody going to say something that go a little bit too far, and you're going to have to put pause on. Like, we can argue about whether or not it should be difficult for that young man under those circumstances. That is a totally fair philosophical, theoretical, moral, ethical decision. 100%. Just guys, an adult. She should be able to do whatever it is that she wants. And neither she nor her son should have to answer for those things. But that boy going to have to answer somebody about it. And I just hope he's ready for it. I do. I really, really, really do. Some young man getting way sideways with him about this. I don't even know she got this son that we talking about, by the way. Does she? Does she? I have no clue. I have no clue. But now you're going to have to scrap it out. That's just what it is. Like, I got ideas of what the rules should be, but I ain't got, I, I don't get to tell you about what they are. Appreciate the question. See what we got here. I think I just had one. Somehow I ran past it. How do you feel about the officer shooting the security guard after Trump said we should arm teachers? I'm the only one thinking that didn't mean us. So that was a like horrible story, right? When somebody had shot up the club and security guard was there and security guard had his gun, the cop came around the corner and the cop then shot the security guard. Security guard had like his knee in somebody's back and he had his gun out and the cops came in, saw a dude with a gun and they shot him. 
And that story is awful. I do think, though, that you got to ask a fair question on this one. Um, how exactly is the cop supposed to know that that's a security guard? Like, I'm not sold that, like, the cops come in the same situation and it's a white man there with a gun and the cop don't wind up shooting there, too. I'm not sure. Oh, you're saying he had clothes on that said security. Gotcha. Yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. I say, I can understand and see a circumstance under which a police officer shows and there's been a shooting and they see somebody there with a gun and they shoot that person. I can see that. Like my man here says, the witnesses said he apprehended the suspect. I would not blame the cops for not recognizing that that's what happened. I wouldn't, right? Like, how could you not tell that the man on the ground was the suspect? What? You know? But if, as you guys say, his clothes said security on them, yeah, 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 yeah. That's look, man. Um, I realized something the other day. Yeah, I'll talk about this. Well, I'll talk about. I don't know. Anyway, it has been years since I've like really talked about uh, police shootings in public. And the reason is like it's pretty simple. Um, I was just saying the same stuff. It's like I was saying the same stuff. The outcome, it was clear and obvious what the outcome would be in all of these situations. Um, for a while, I felt like I was able to make points that could reach some people and make them kind of see what was going on because i mean i do think people have a lot of brainwashing to fight before they see the light on some issues but then it was just kind of like yo man i can't make nobody see this if they can't see this right here like that's how i felt you know and so i just didn't really see the value of me basically saying things that you are very much so able to hear other people say because the points are like so roundly obvious that you don't need me for it, right? Um, and like, that's why when I see something like this, I'm like, yo, what do I, like when you come ask me a question about it and I'm not knocking anybody for asking me a question and people being like, how do you feel about it? Like on this one, you might have found something where I had something until we found out that the dude had security on his hat. And maybe that would have been, like, surprising to you on some level. I don't know. But these things happen, and people are like, so how do you feel about it? And I'm like, what do you expect? Like, what answer is there that I'm going to provide you? So what do you think about this dude that got shot at work? That was messed up, huh? You know? So I guess in to a degree, I wonder sometimes if what you have is – like some people who, like I guess, 
I would imagine there's some people that hope that I am able to articulate something they feel perhaps in a way that would be more effective than they could themselves with the reach that they do not have. Like, maybe that's it. I don't know. But like, I look at something like that and I'm like, yo, what do you think? And in this case, like I say, almost through your curveball until apparently you guys told me that the gentleman had been identified as security by his clothes. Um, and someone was put a link in the chat about that so I can double check and make sure I'm not saying something that is horribly wrong. But if that were the case, yeah, man, that's kind of messed up. You know, what do you want me to say that isn't painfully obvious? Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. As a New York City resident, do you have any thoughts on Amazon coming in and getting millions of dollars in tax breaks while your subways fall apart? Yeah, that subway thing is certainly a problem. I don't I, I understand why a lot of people are viewing like they're looking at it. Yeah, like, oh, man, we're not getting tax. You know, we're giving Amazon these tax breaks and the subway is falling apart. Right. Like, I see why people go there. That's an easy one to point to. My thing is this. And I understand that Amazon is now a. Uh, publicly traded company therefore um, like they have to be ruthlessly capitalistic at that point no matter how much you mean the shares that Bezos has like they had to be this is what it is all the corporation does is make money that's the only concern that it has and so they want the tax breaks and everything else but I would just like to go back again to ask what in the world is Jeff Bezos doing with all this money and it's his money he gets to do whatever he wants with it but he hasn't done anything of significance in terms of giving to charity. And the reason is he basically says that he doesn't know how to like really make a dent in anything. This dude is worth like $150 billion. And he acts like he couldn't figure out a way to do something to help the world with some of that money. But Jeff Bezos still spending money from what? From what year he's still spending money from? You know, like what? Like the, a dollar he makes today is a dollar he ain't never going to touch. Ever. It would take him far too long to ever get to that money. There's so much that he could do. And if he doesn't want to do it, that is his right. And I think it becomes other people's right subsequently to judge him however they want. But if he doesn't do it, that is his right. But don't look at us and say, well, what could I possibly do with this $150 billion? I feel like his lifestyle is no different. And I mean, lifestyle, honestly, is no different probably between $150 billion and $1 billion. I understand that there is a hierarchy among these billionaires. But the reason that Jeff Bezos has more money than Bill Gates is Bill Gates is giving a bunch of that money away. Appreciate the question. Right fast. Guy says, there any particular era that you would love to see Ava DuVernay cover in her upcoming Prince documentary? I don't even know what that means because I'd want her to cover, like, all of it. The other thing is I'd like her to call me to be in it. How about that? Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. This is an interesting set of questions people are asking. Oh, okay. I can do this. Recently on Twitter, you talked about folks who asked to, quote, pick the brain of moderate celebrities, thought leaders, those with access. What are effective ways, if any, to build effective relationships for the sake of learning from others? Okay, so this was actually an interesting thing because some people got mad at me and told me I was being arrogant shit like that for this but what i said was people love to hit me up on some hey man i just want to know if there's a time that i could pick your brain and somebody else had made this point on the internet and they're like look what you're doing when you say that you want to pick somebody's brain 
is you are asking for them to give you these insights that they have learned over time and to take their time and energy and give it to you and like totally get it. Absolutely, totally get it. My response though to that was, what do I get from this? Because the answer is overwhelmingly nothing. Now, it's not your fault that the answer is nothing. It's not your fault that you, who wishes to pick the brain, has nothing to provide. But in the end, you don't. Right? And so basically what you're asking for is a big old favor from a stranger. And that stranger may be inclined to give you or do this favor for you. They might. But if they don't, you need to recognize that they don't owe you shit, right? Like if they don't do that favor for you, the part that you need to recognize is anything that was going to happen in that interaction was going to be for your benefit. It was not going to be for the benefit of the person giving it to you unless there's like some kind of cosmic reason or whatever that you think is going to come back to them like twofold in the future or something like that. And so the question I guess that we get here is how do you build effective relationships for the sake of learning for others? It's not hard to build relationships that allow you to learn from others. You just kind of do it a organically and B, broaden out your scope of who the people are that you can learn from. So like I used to go to, I go to the NABJ convention every year. And NABJ for me can get to be a little bit exhausting, right? And part of why it can be a little bit exhausting is I always got a bunch of people running up on me um, and they all mean well. Like I want to be clear about this. I understand that all of these people mean well, right? But you can mean well and get on my nerves at the same time. And so... What you have is you have people like who come up and they want to take pictures and stuff like that. And that's its own discussion. But then they're just like, yo, man, I just want to know if you had any advice, you know, for an up and coming sports journalist. I mean, yeah, probably. But like, I don't know. what we're, I don't know. I don't know you like that. Become, that's where the difficulty comes up is that I don't know you. And I think that a lot of people believe that you can kind of unlock stuff for them with some sort of platitude. Like, you know, I met this person, he told me this thing and I would never forget, you know, Um, and it doesn't really work that way. And so what I found in my time going to NABJ, especially when I was young, the relationships that I built and the people that I learned from were people that were on the same level as me. Like, that's where you're more likely to get what you're looking for is for the people who are fighting the same fights as you and they got different things that are happening to them and then they relay in the stories and then it kind of goes from there. And those people that's on the same level with you, your relationships are probably going to be more organic with. Like, that's going to be the place that you learn. Like, I ask you this question, just generally speaking about college. Did you learn more sitting in class or did you learn more in the dorm? Now, did you learn more from the teacher or did you learn more from the experiences and the stuff you share with your peers? Like those are the people that are going to be able to do it for you. Now, let's say you were at this convention or whatever, 
and I go into a room and you ask a very, very good question and that catches my eye. And then after that, I choose to come and introduce myself to you. And then we perhaps start up some sort of relationship right there. Okay, that right there has got a chance. And then from there, you're not like asking to pick the brain or whatever. Like these things are coming up as such. But you're just not going to cold call no stranger asking random questions and, go, and thinking you're going to get anything from Because if you think about it, asking people like that, you know, the folks that you want answers for, they normally charge for that shit. And not no little bit of money neither. Right. So what I say to you is, what is the way to, like, find an opportunity to pick the brain of a of a moderate celebrity, how do you do it? You don't. It's not going to help you that much. Right? Like, I'm not going to be able to unlock this thing for you. But it's just like anything else. If for whatever reason you strike it up with somebody, then you're going to wind up in a place. Like, there are, I wouldn't say a whole lot at this point, but, like, I got a lot of younger folks in this business that I, you know, help out, and they talk to me about stuff, and I bounce it off of them and back and forth. But most of the time, it didn't happen because they sought me out. It happened because for whatever reason, I I don't know if sought out is necessarily the way to put it. But like I might follow you on Twitter because you follow, you cover a team or something or whatever that, you know, makes it such that you're a person who I should keep up with, you know, so that I can get information. So then I get in there and I see that your work is strong. Then I'm going to probably reach out at some point and be like, hey, man, it's some good work, you know. And then from there, you probably can get to a brain picking scenario. Probably. Um, or we could just establish some measure of friendship or whatever it is, you know. But I do think that for most people, and this isn't everybody, like when I sent that out, I had a few people hit me up like, oh, damn, I'm one of those people. And I'm like, no, nah, it's not necessarily. You know, it's, it, like that wasn't about any one person in particular. Uh, and sometimes like, I admit I'm not necessarily like I got whatever time I got. I'm not necessarily like looking to sacrifice it on some like karma maybe this will get me into heaven stuff like not necessarily um but like none of this is said with any harm or anything else but just just have an understanding that what you are asking for you're not bringing anything to the table it's not your fault that you're not bringing anything to the table but you're not bringing anything like, I think somebody mentioned this. Yeah, I had a dude chase me around the corner. I went to an event and I was leaving. And I was in Brooklyn. It was at night. I leave. I started walking around. This dude was like, yo, yo, yo. Okay, nice to meet you. I was like, cool. And I kept walking. The next thing I know, this dude ran around the corner. He was like, yo, I need you to give me some advice. Like, any advice. It doesn't matter. I'll just, I'll just take any, any advice at all. I'm assuming he was drunk. He was like, any, any advice at all. I'm like, yo, man, what the? What? Yeah. Come on, man. It's a lot. And, like, and if I'm an asshole to them as a result, I'm the one that people look at bad. You know? So, but anyway, yeah, I really think that the move is much more about establishing the relationships with your peer group. And that's, that's a better play for you than trying to, like, get me to put you on. Appreciate the question. Oh, here's one. How difficult was your first semester in a PhD program? I'm 22 and it's my first semester in a PhD program and it's kicking my ass. Um, first year in a PhD program is, oh my God, it was awful. 
Like, like, they, like there's no other way to put it. It was awful the first year in a PhD program. Um, but, 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 the thing I want you to know, and this is a very important part here, the thing I want you to know, and this is important, it's awful for everyone. Do not think for a second that you are the only person who is miserable. Everybody is miserable. It is intended to be miserable. And even if it is not intended to be miserable, there is no way that anybody can explain to you how difficult the first year of a PhD program is going to be. People can tell you how much different it is than college. People can tell you this, that, and the third, and everything else, right? You got to feel it. You got to feel it. It's rough. And you're going to be good. PhD program is overwhelmingly a test of perseverance. It is overwhelmingly a a test of perseverance. So just grind with it and grind with it and grind with it. I wish I had something that could make it feel better. But that's all it is. Uh, appreciate the question. By the way, somebody says, am I wearing the flyest Snuggie ever? No, I'm wearing a Run the Jewels hoodie. Like, I don't think you know how the Snuggie works. All right, let me see. Let me see. Who upvoted that question, too? You must have done that for your own shit. The old dirty bastard story during the taping of Mariah Carey Fantasy. Thoughts, question mark? My fault. I've been gone for a while. I can't get so frustrated already with thoughts, question mark. Anyway, yeah, so apparently, I mean, you can go look up the particulars of this story. It's really a lot of basically old dirty bastard being an alcoholic (laughs) and doing alcoholic things and how absurdly difficult it was for them to ultimately get him to record the verse uh, for fantasy. Yeah, honestly, what do you expect me to say? Sorry, don't mean to be a jerk. I'm just really curious what you expected me to say. Oh, wow. Arnold Flowers, stop asking questions. And I'm sure you did that because we said we needed questions. So thank you. Now stop. What do you think about the backlash that Virgil Abloh's design of Serena Williams' GQ cover received? How we crossed out the word men and inserted women, woman in quotation marks. So I saw that and I don't really blame Virgil. All right. So like this whole thing with Virgil and the off-white stuff and like basically the shipping label being put onto the clothes. Um, and like, yeah, this is his bag. This is what he does. Like I got a pair of them things around here at the house somewhere. Like we all know this, this is what he does. And so I don't know what exactly the rhyme or reason to what he puts in quotation marks and what gets done in what way. I don't know what that is. Like, I don't know if there's a system to it. So the fact that woman wound up in quotation marks in that way, 
I'm not in a position to answer whether that falls in line with like his historical pattern of like, if that's the way he does it, I don't know. But the reason that I say that I don't blame him without, given that I don't have that piece of information is that he's not the editor. Like the editor at that magazine has to see a picture of Serena Williams and see woman in quotation marks. There has to be one person who was there to be like, hey, no, no, that's not, no, no, no. Why? And the answer is, it's just not worth it. Like there needed to be one person with literally the smallest twinge in them to be like, nope, I don't think this is something that we should do. And let me tell you why I find it impossible to believe that there wasn't at least one person there that has that had that 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 feeling about them. I've told the story here before. I'm gonna tell it again. My man might be listening. I went to my man's house one time to watch the national championship game. And unfortunately for him, it was my white buddy, and he invited some of his racist friends. Now, one of them, like to the point where I left at halftime because I just kind of had enough. And one of them, after I left, said he probably thinks I'm a racist. And my buddy's like, yeah, yeah, there's there's good reason for that. But anyway, somehow out of nowhere, Serena Williams came up and just all of a sudden it went into her looking like a gorilla and looking like a man and all this. I'm like, whoa. And I don't like it never even dawned on them that I might be over here like, say what? Like they didn't even give it no second thought. Right. The idea of somebody making an intimation that Serena Williams being a man or looking like a man. There's no way in the world that you're going to tell me that you I mean, it's very difficult. Rather, I ain't going to say no way in the world, but it's very difficult. You tell me you got a whole office of editorial staff or whatever it is, diverse or not. And not one person caught that, like not one person in that room even had a like like and I'm saying that this person is right. But the person that have a <laughs> like nobody gave one of those. Like it is wild to me that there was not one person there to be like, er, er, I don't know. Or at least give an indication to make it understandable why it is that it would have got a her, 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 her. Hey guys, I don't, I don't really know about this one. So yeah, that's what's surprised. Yeah, I think I got one, maybe two more questions in here. Here we go. Should we consider the Black Album a classic in Jay Z's catalog? I mean, I don't know if I'm really here in the position to tell you whether or whether you should or should not consider it to be a classic. I mean, kind of if you do, you do; you don't, you don't. But the thing I've noticed as time has gone on about the Black Album is the Black Album was the Black Album was basically a classic before it even came out. And one thing I think that's hard if you weren't really around in that time period for you to grasp is that when the Black Album was originally announced, the concept behind it was that it was going to be 12 tracks, 12 different producers, and the producers were all going to be lights out. You know, like there wasn't a primo track on this album. There's supposed to be a primo track. Um, I mean, it was it was supposed to be bananas. On that level, that is ultimately not what it turned out to be. Now, it turned out to be a very good album, I thought, with some very, very, very strong tracks. It also had like it had some real moments of weakness. And I have called this album a classic at different points. So I kind of go back and forth on this. But Moment of Clarity stinks. Justify My Thug stinks. I feel like there's another one on there that I'm just not thinking about right now um, that also stinks. Um, 
Like people talk about Knights Wonder, that story about getting thread on there. He had to do the beat in 25 minutes, which is really interesting. But that's not like the strongest track in the world. You know? So, um, and it was his retirement album. Again, so like everything was shaping up for that to be considered a classic record. And then, like I say, I feel like that decision was made before it came out. Um, I also feel like that record has a real hold on people who were like graduating from high school right around that time. But I think the comp in the Jay-Z catalog to the Black Album is really volume one. Not that they're the same material, but they suffer from the same thing, which is that the highs are really, really high and the lows are boo, 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 boo. Is there another song on here that was like a boo-boo and I'm just not remembering right now? Nah. But like now, the flat out heat. Like December 4th is good. What more can I say? I really like encore. I like the Kanye tracks on here, Bananas. Change clothes. I it ain't for me. It's not boo-boo though. Dirt off your shoulder. It's not bad. But I don't love it like other people do. Uh threat, we already talked about that. Moment of clarity, stinks. Uh, 99 Problems, that's a pretty good one. That one really hasn't aged well, though. Like, I think that there was a level of nostalgia when 99 Problems came out because we don't get a Rick Rubin rap track very long and it's in classic Rick Rubin style. But, eh, you know, I don't need it like that. Uh, PSA, oh, bananas, so good. Justify My Thug, no. Lucifer, nuts. Allure, Allure's good. My first song, it's good. Like, it's a very, very, very good record. Um... I can see why you would call it a classic. Sometimes I call it a classic too. Let me see if we got anything else here. Someone who claims that his name is Ty Sean said peach cobbler or pumpkin pie for Thanksgiving. And I feel like if you were really named Ty Sean, you wouldn't put peach cobbler and pumpkin pie in the same sentence. He's probably like that young stooge. All right, is it one more? 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 Swear to goodness, man, I ain't answering no more questions that start with thoughts. Just so you know. This guy says, new Vince Stables, what do you think about his unique position in hip-hop? I like the new Vince Stables, but what he do says, what do you think about his unique position in hip-hop? Why don't you answer your own question? <laughs> like, I might not even think it's unique. Yeah, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. We're going to try to do this thing here once every week or two, give or take. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you to Oh My's uh, Design, by the way, for helping get us back up and running. Very much so appreciate it. Uh, remember, if you cannot watch The Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the iTunes store, subscribe to Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. I apologize for starting late. A big part of why I started late is honestly, it had been so long since we had done this that I could not find the microphone. Talk to you soon. Take it easy.